0: is For, for his, his name's sake, yea, though I walk, I walk the, the valley of, of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod me and your staff, they comfort me. You will know pre- 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 a table be before me in the presence of my enemies. enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall so follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
1: Sorely impressed by God's gifting, and thank you for coming and joining us on this special Christmas program. We're glad that you're with us this morning, and I want to extend a special welcome if you're here as a guest. Thanks for joining us. If you did happen to pick up a bulletin, uh, there were some on the welcome table uh, there we'd appreciate if you would uh, just let us know you're here yeah there is a little additional flap on that bulletin if you'd mind filling it out and uh, putting it in the box where we collect our offering because we don't pass offering anymore and we'd appreciate that just a reminder on christmas eve we will be having a service here at 5:30, a candlelight service on christmas eve so hopefully you can uh, join us for that if you Works into your schedule. We'd love to have you join us. It'll be a short service so you can go back and spend time with your family, and we're looking forward to that. So I want to just ask if you would bow with me as we pray before we think a little bit about what God's Word has to say about this whole thing, a little more about what God's Word has to say. Father, thank you for your Word and for your grace in providing it, and for the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, whom whose birth we celebrate today and this week. And we thank you for the opportunity to come and, through many, many different avenues, think about what this means for us and what it can mean and should mean for us. Open our hearts to the truths of your word that have already been spoken and that will yet be spoken, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've been paying attention up here, but uh, we've been hearing the story of some of the key players in that first Christmas, all right? Uh, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And it it seems that uh, from what we've seen so far, what we've heard so far, that uh, these key players uh, have something to tell us. And when I was thinking about this, the the key players in that first Christmas, they, they really answer for us two questions, Okay, they answer for us two questions that reveal how, in the face of frightening circumstances, we can experience a fearless Christmas. How can we be fearless at Christmas time? And so, the first question that they answer is, what, "What was the reason? What's the cause for the fear?" Okay, what were they afraid of? And in every case, in Mary and Joseph and the shepherds' case, it was the appearance and the announcement of an angel. An angelic appearance and announcement. Mary, you're favored. You're going to have a baby uh, before you are actually, uh, you know, uh, with your husband. Whoa, that's kind of freaky. Uh, Joseph, look, the woman you're engaged to, uh, she's going to have a baby of the Holy Spirit and you're supposed to marry her anyway. Okay. And the shepherds, Hey, you're out in the fields at night and all of a sudden a bright light appears. Here's an angel and says, you guys who were outcasts from the Jewish uh, religious people, you guys who are kind of the scum of the earth type people who really aren't welcome in religious settings, you're supposed to go see this baby who's born in Bethlehem or he's been born. And and so, okay. Wow. Frightening stuff uh, for the people on that first Christmas. I have a... A friend who was uh, on a short-term mission trip in a third-world country, and he got up one night in the pitch black of the night without electricity to go out to uh, use the facilities, uh, which was the great outdoors. And uh, he was uh, standing, uh, out, he just got outside, and he, he felt something. Uh, he didn't know what was going on, but he, he felt this presence. And then he realized he was standing face-to-face with a bull, uh, a horned bull in the middle of nowhere. He was terrified. Well, I get Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Uh, they, they were terrified. In each of these cases, I think you would be along with me and say, they had reason. I mean, it was rational to be afraid of the shepherd, for the shepherds and for Joseph and Mary. If you have an angelic appearance, okay, that makes sense. But then I was thinking, you know, okay, that's them, but what about us? What do we have to fear? And I think, if we're honest, 2020 has been kind of a year of fear. Uh, It's been one of these things. Okay, so, you know, we have this this pandemic, this global pandemic that has insulated, isolated, and intimidated most everybody. Am I going to get sick? Am I going to cause somebody else to get sick? Is somebody close to me going to die? Am I going to spread it to someone else and then them get really sick? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Then there's this fear, this fear of rioting and looting and violence and vandalism. It's going to come to me as all in the name of justice. There's a fear of losing my business, a fear of losing my job, fear of losing my financial savings, fear of losing my house, fear Fear, fear all around us. It's fear, fear of losing my friends and my family and my neighbors because I have a different political perspective than they do. Fear, we have this fear. Fear of losing my liberties, my personal liberties, my religious liberties. Fear of being ostracized and cut off because I'm not in line, lock, step and barrel with the moral revolution A fear, I'm afraid. All sorts of stuff to fear. So, how is it that Christmas can calm the fears? Well, what's the cause for fear? Uh, Ours is a little different than that of the first players at the Christmas story. But the cure is the same. The cure is the same. Joseph and Mary and the shepherds all had the same reason for fear. But they also were given the same reassurance... Not to fear. And then they were all given the same reason why they shouldn't fear. And so I just want to take a couple of moments for us to see how the cure, the remedy for the reason of fear is the same for us as it was for them. You see, we have the same reassurance they were given, we don't have the same reasons for fear. At least I haven't. I haven't seen any angels appear to me and tell me the things that were told to them. But I have reasons to fear, or I think I have reasons to fear, but we all have the same reassurance to fear. In the gospel story in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 30, we read that when the angel appeared to Mary, he said, and the angel said to her after he had, (laughs) you're favored, you know, don't worry. Do not be afraid, he said to Mary. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We have the same reassurance. Do not be afraid. And in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph was was told, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been born conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, they were told, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In other words, what's really interesting to me is that refrain occurs as a common refrain And frequently occurring refrain all throughout the scriptures. Given to the people of God in an attempt to to calm them, to eliminate fear and to enhance faith. When Moses was passing the baton to Joshua back in Deuteronomy, he told Moses, or Moses told Joshua, don't be afraid, don't worry. God's going to with you. He's going with you, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses six and eight. When Jesus was the night that He was betrayed in John chapter 14, he told his disciples, "Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." John chapter 14, verse 27. Don't be afraid, John 16:33, not in those exact words, but don't be afraid. Why should they not be afraid? They, they, they were told all these things. Don't be afraid uh, some of you know my dear wife, and I have her permission to tell this, but uh, she's she's not a big water person. Okay, you know uh, some people are water people. You know they like to go skiing, they like to go boating, they like to go fishing, they like to get out on the boat, they like to go tubing, they like to do all this stuff. Marta's not a big water person. So when we were on vacation one time, and and I said huh, we're gonna we're gonna try scuba diving, which is you go under the water. And my wife was petrified to go under the water. But our, our, our scuba instructor, bless his heart, was a very kind and patient guy. And so because of his presence and his precise explanation, don't be afraid, he said. He kept telling her, don't be afraid. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll take care of you. She actually did it. And for 45 minutes, she was under the water in, in her scuba gear, you know, and, and she did it. And it was a great step of faith for her. Well, in the same way, the presence... And the precise explanations given to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds provided assurance to them, reassurance, that they didn't need to be afraid. They didn't need to be afraid. That his presence and his precise uh, explanations would would calm their fears. So we have the same reassurance, but then we also have the same reasons not to fear as these three key players did. Let me think about it for a minute. Mary, why was she not supposed to be afraid? She's favored by God, right? And, and what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you will give birth to the Son of God, and he will be, his kingdom will have no end. Joseph, why should he not be afraid? Well, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing this, Joseph. And she will give birth to a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. The shepherds, why not be afraid? Because it's good news for all people. For today is born for you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the fix for fear, uh, the prescription for panic, is the birth of the Savior. But if you're like me, you're going, hmm, how's that work? Well, see, so it was Mary's Savior who was born. It was Joseph's Savior who was born. It was the shepherd's Savior who was born. It was our Savior who was born. In Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 30 and 32, uh, you see, if you want to look at the screen, For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is Simeon when Jesus was brought to the temple which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He's the Savior of all people. He's the Savior of all people. How does the Savior's birth, though, translate into a fearless Christmas? Okay, if he's the answer, well, how does that work? How is it because Jesus was born supposed to deliver me from fear, us from fear? Well, the answer lies in what he saves us from. Because when Jesus was born in a, as a babe in a manger, he came to this earth to save us from the only thing that we have legitimate reason to fear. What is the only thing we have legitimate reason to fear? And actually, it's not a thing, it's a who. <laughs> and the who is God himself. The only reason for legitimate fear is to fear God. If you look at Luke, and I'm gonna, we're going to try to put it on the screen, Luke chapter 12, Verses four and five. Now I say to you, this is Jesus, my friends. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you, whom to fear. Now, who are we supposed to fear? Fear the one who, after he has killed someone, has the power to throw that person into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And who's that? That's God. You see, the only legitimate fear we have as human beings is God Himself. There are other passages that I could alert you to, and one is in Hebrews chapter 10, a couple of them in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. The reason we would fear God is not just because God is some mean God, but because God is holy. And our sin, as a result of this holy God, deserves his judgment, his wrath. That's why we would fear God, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. And then verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's the only reason we have for legitimate fear, is because we would be judged by God. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I feared the judgment of my earthly father. In a good way. Don't get this wrong. I wasn't an abused child. But I knew that if I crossed the line, and my dad was two, two 220 pounds, and I'm a little bit of nothing. And so it wouldn't take long. I would find myself in a world of hurt if I did the wrong thing. And now, God is not capricious. God is not just vindictive. God is not evil. He's holy. And so our sin is an offense to a holy and righteous God. But he's also loving. And compassionate and gracious. So we would fear in the same way that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds rightly feared the presence of God Almighty through this angel and speaking to them. So we too should fear. God's assurance to them is the same assurance to us. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of God's wrath against our sin. Because Jesus will take it. He will rescue us from eternal condemnation and the temporal subjugation that sin puts us under in this world. That's the Savior who was born. A fearless Christmas is, the, is possible only through faith in Christ. He was born to die, like what Brother Anand said this morning. That men are, are born to live and then they die, but Jesus was born to die, but he lives. And he lives that we might live. But faith must acknowledge and act on some key truths. And the first key truth is we first of all have to admit we're messed up. (laughs) I mean, the Bible tells us we're messed up, but a lot of us don't agree with that. The Bible says that there's no one who is righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray and each one has turned to his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. We're messed up people. Now, you may not think you're messed up, but just talk to somebody who knows you well and they'll tell you. I don't have any problems yeah you're proud no I'm not I'm a completely humble person no you're not so I'm not greedy yes you are I'm not selfish yes you are you're selfish no I'm selfish no you're selfish we're sinful people we're either playing God pretending like we got our act together, or we're actively rebelling against him or just we just don't care But God knows that. And the second thing, the second fact we must act on is the fact that because of that, we deserve God's judgment. When I messed up at home, I deserved, I knew the line, I knew the rules, and I disobeyed the rules. I deserved the punishment I got. Well, we deserve the judgment of God when we violate his standards. And all of us are sinners, sinners by nature, sinners by choice. So we're caught either way. The marvelous thing is that God's not capricious. I said that He's not mean, vindictive. He's not a, a God who's looking on us like uh, I look on ants, you know, waiting, squish them or spiders, you know, you see a spider in your house, oh, no, no, little spider, let me help you. No. God's not like that. He's not capricious. He's not wanting to squish us like a bug. No. He loves us enough that He sent His Son, Jesus, to be a babe in a manger. So we understand that we're messed up. We understand that we deserve God's judgment. But God put His Son in our place when He came to earth as a babe and died on the cross in our place. God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place. So that His death satisfied God's wrath for our sins if we accept his sacrifice in our place. Think about Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. They acted in faith. On the news of the promised Messiah. What did Mary do? Well, Mary submitted. Be it done unto me, Lord, as you have said. Okay, I'm willing to go, Lord. Joseph committed. Okay, this is the woman. I'm going to marry her. Keep her a virgin until we get married, boom, I'm I'm the dude. Okay, that's my my test. The shepherds visited. Each one of them acted in faith based on the evidence they were given. Well, what about us? And what is faith anyway? It's, It's active trust. It takes action. Several years ago, we took our family to the Royal Gorge and uh, the Royal Gorge has a tram that goes across the Royal Gorge, okay? So this is a tram that goes across the Royal Gorge. You know, it's like an 1,100-foot gash in the earth, and uh, you're up here, and there's a cable, one cable that runs across, and you're kind of hanging from this cable. So here I was, yo, young and foolish. So I took my wife and our three children, and we got on this tram. And halfway across, I'm going, I wonder if this is really a good idea. That's a long ways down there. Uh, I'm just not going to look down. You see, the point is that I can say, oh, the tram's safe. The tram, you know, you just ride the tram from one side to the other, but you should do it sometime. And I can give you all the advice in the world, but unless I'm willing to get on the tram and trust the tram and take it across, there's no faith on my part. In the same way, Christ died on the cross, and he's asking us to put our faith, our trust, in what he did as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the fourth thing. We must accept it by faith. We must accept it by faith. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, uh, and I'm going backwards now, so sorry, but it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Okay, okay. He redeemed us from the curse. See, as fully God, he had to be fully God because only as fully God could he be the perfect sacrifice, sinless sacrifice. He had to be fully man because only then could he be our substitute. A calf doesn't substitute for me. So a calf dies or a sheep dies. I'm not a sheep. I'm not a calf despite what some people would say you know we're not it's not the, the circle of life is uh, distinguishes between animals and human beings and so only a human could die in my place only a perfect human could die in my place otherwise he'd have to die for his own sins but jesus died in our place for us but we must accept it the pardon that jesus purchased on calvary because he was born in bethlehem must be accepted i don't know if you know this but there's a guy by the name of george wilson and George Wilson was uh, sentenced, convicted, and sentenced to be hanged in 1830. But Andrew Jackson issued him a presidential pardon, which he rejected. Went to the Supreme Court. They said, "Can, can that be done?" I mean, you know, the presidential pardon he had, doesn't. And here's what the Supreme Court said: the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. Chief Justice John Marshall stated, a pardon is an act of grace. Proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. An act of grace. God, in the ultimate sense, is entrusted with the enactment of the laws. And so here, the president had issued the pardon. But it it must be, he says, but delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in a court to force it On him. When Jesus was born, he came to die. And when he died, he purchased our pardon. But the pardon that was purchased must be accepted for it to be effected. And nobody can force it upon us. It was freely given, it must be freely accepted. For it to be applied. Only as Christ's pardon is accepted. Are we declared righteous before God. Not guilty of our sin. And only then are we at peace with God. Meaning that he's no longer looking at us. And going to judge us because of our sin. I ask you this morning. Can you enjoy. And will you experience. A fearless Christmas. Because you're trusting. That this babe that was born in a manger grew up and died on a cross and paid your debt to set you free. Free from fear, the only thing we really should be fearing is God's judgment. And if you can't, then my invitation to you this morning is to accept that God's gracious gift is an act of grace. A pardon is an act of grace. Grace is not deserved. And so none of us deserves it. Accept it. Turn from your sin and trust in this Jesus as your Savior and your Lord today. And you will be pardoned and forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. Now, if you're here listening online or you're here this morning and you are trusting in Christ and you can live a fearless Christmas, Christmas, um, let's just be honest. Some of us have been fearful this year. So let's go back and confess our fear of anything short of God. Let us commit to cling to the promises of God because God will take care of the rest of it. If He saved our soul, He'll take care of the rest of it. Let us commit to cling to His goodness all around us. And let us communicate the joy of this season to everyone. And let us celebrate. That we who do not deserve it have been given the greatest gift of salvation through faith in Christ. No longer to be condemned. This is the joy of Christmas. And Christmas is, you know, here. It's, it's not about circumstances. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Christmas is all about nostalgic experience. It's all about the presence of family and the presents under the tree. Now, those are all nice things, but but our fearlessness isn't contingent upon those things. It's not contingent upon our comfort. It's not contingent upon our convenience. It's contingent only upon our reception of the Savior. Who rescues us from condemnation and provides us with the power over sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. And He enables us to live courageously and faithfully in the midst of a troubling, terrifying sometimes, treacherous, and trying world. And you know, as we, as we think about the manger, it leads us straight to the cross. And Christmas is not a time of, you know, downers. It's not a time for us to think about condemnation. It's a time to think about celebration, but we can only celebrate if we're not condemned. And we're not condemned if we're trusting in Christ. And so as we, as we think about breaking bread and we think about drinking a cup, we think about those things as the reason why we can celebrate Christmas. Because they remind us of what Jesus did in freeing us from the judgment that we deserve. And so in, in, a, in a moment, the, the gals are going to come and they're going to do a special number. And on your chair, there should be a cup uh, that has a little flap on the top for the bread and then another one for the juice. And I just invite you, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're at home, if you want to get some bread and some juice or something, I just invite you to take a few moments to reflect. Can I, can I live a fearless Christmas? And if you can, then you can, you can be sobered by Christ's sacrifice and then celebrate what he's done as you take the elements. And if you haven't, You can't say, I I can do a fearless Christmas. Then there's no better time to experience a fearless Christmas than today. And turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Invite Him to be your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here or listening online that's never crossed over from life to death, never got on that tramway of trusting in Jesus, I pray that they would today turn from their sin and trust in Christ as Savior and realize that this birth of a baby in a manger was so that we could live without fear of condemnation, so we could live without fear in our everyday lives that we can trust you to take care of us, provide for us, that we're living for an eternal value. We pray in Jesus' name.
0: this morning. We look forward to seeing some of you join us on Christmas Eve. Um, Have a Merry Christmas.
2: See ya